Today, we have another episode in our transatlantic sessions. And instead of hopping across to the USA, we go a little bit further up north, this time to one of my favourite places, which is Canada. Our next guest is coach David J. Greer, who specialises in coaching and strategic planning at Coach David J. Greer. And he also acts as a facilitator for successful entrepreneurs to enable growth via strategic planning. If, like me, this is something that you'd like to know more about, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Coke, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Hello and welcome to The Cashflow Show, David. Thank you for having me, Clayton. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really pleased to have you here as well, sir, because as I said in the introduction, you are our first guest from Canada. I've got lots of things to say about Canada and lots of them are very good. It's great to have you on. Thank you. And and I hope that I can share some things that your listeners will find useful. First of all, how would you describe your role at Coach DJ Greer? I'm often asked the difference between a consultant and a coach, and I've been both. So as a consultant, I'm expected to have the answers to bring all the expertise and, uh, you know, to be given a project or some challenge and to just go and solve it. As a coach, I don't have any answers. As a coach, what I have are the questions. The work and the growth happens in the entrepreneur, mostly actually between sessions. I help people to look at things from different directions. I help people to really see the wins that they're having, uh, which people often uh, skip over. Help them formulate, you know, what is the next right step for them in their business or their life? And I make sure like every call that uh, that that's the case. And, you know, with strategic planning, I, I use a framework that I think is one of the best in the world. Uh, it comes from Vern Harnish, who has a couple of books, The Rockefeller Habits and Scaling Up. Uh, And I work with the entrepreneur and the senior leadership team to get them aligned on the same set of small goals. I think as entrepreneurs, we usually set too many goals rather than it's actually harder to set fewer goals to get more focused. And as entrepreneurs, we like to spread our risk by, well, let's pursue 10 things. But you actually reduce your risk by pursuing three or four which is counterintuitive for most people. So, you know, I have a process for that strategic planning, you know, quarterly one day offsite and annually two days offsite and an agenda and a framework to really come up with the things that will really focus the senior leadership team and the CEO and hopefully the whole business. What I'd like to know is obviously you're in this position now where you've been in business. How long is it for now? As a coach, seven years. And you came from a very similar coaching background or was it something completely different? Well, I have a 40 plus year experience as an entrepreneur. 
When I was 22, getting my computer science degree, uh, I joined a young software startup as the first employee after the founders. I liked the place. Stayed 20 years, built it into a global powerhouse, bought out one of the founders, became partners with the other. You know, and that was really formulated a lot of my, you know, entrepreneurial journeys. So that's kind of one piece of it. And then after I sold out of that business, my wife and I did something completely different, took our three children and commissioned a sailboat in the south of France. And we sailed for two years, covering more than 5,000 miles, 10,000 kilometers in the Mediterranean while homeschooling three kids and surviving together on a 43-foot boat. But when I came back, you know, I did a, a lot of angel investing, kind of 100 deals a year and investing in one and mentoring and being on the board of directors. But after a few years, I didn't realize how unfulfilling that was for me. And uh, I met an amazing coach at an event who made me more uncomfortable than I had been in a number of years in about a two-minute conversation. And that was Coach Kevin Lawrence. On my 50th birthday, August 9th, uh, 2007, I had my first session with Kevin. And when you work with Kevin, you it's an all-in or all-out proposition because your first coaching session with him is two days, 16 hours uh, back to back. So whoa, <laughs> you're all in. And 18 months after I worked with Kevin, we cleared away all the clutter that was in my life. And all that was left was the elephant in the room. And he was the first person that I admitted uh, I had a drinking problem to. And uh, he, he, fortunately, he had a summer place south of BC in, in Washington State at the kind of group campfire where he had his place. There, you know, there were lots of other people. And one of them was a longtime member of AA who told Kevin over a bunch of summers, you know, his experience, strength and hope in AA. So when I admitted to Kevin, I had a drinking problem. He knew what to do. Um, and he got me to, to go to my first meeting. And uh, more than 5,000 days of sobriety later, it's an incredible gift. In 2015, when I came out of my last executive gig, I decided I wanted to give to other entrepreneurs the amazing gifts that Kevin has given to me. And, and that's really the motivation for becoming an entrepreneurial coach. Well, first of all, congratulations on your 5,000 plus days. I, I understand that never necessarily being in that position myself, the tenacity and the strength that it takes in order to confront those situations. Yeah, I, you know, I tell people, and I really in my heart believe this is true, it's the single biggest achievement of my life. And every morning I have to get up and I have to achieve it again. Now, I only have to achieve it for today. But I do, you know, I need to keep it front and center because the alcoholic part of my brain is always, even with a lot of sobriety, it's, it's still there. It doesn't show up very much anymore, but it still sometimes goes by and you see a bunch of people, you know, Christmas time and having a party and a lot of drinks and you think, oh, boy, yeah, that'd be really good to go have some drinks with them. Um, <laughs> fortunately, I have learned to just say, no, no, that would be a really bad idea really bad. I catch it. But I really actively participate in my 12-step program because my alcoholic part of my brain wants me to forget. Uh, and I participate because that's how I remember, as well as giving back, of course, which is the core of a 12-step program. I, I get to keep it by giving it away. Your coaching sessions with Kevin was a way of unlocking a lot of things that had been packed away. Would I be right in saying so? The coaching sessions with Kevin got a lot of me out of the way of me. Like I was the one who was holding myself back. Do you find that happens a lot with a lot of the people that you work with? Absolutely, almost totally. We are our own worst enemy. And once we can do some personal work and, and it comes in all sorts of ways and shapes and forms, you know, some of it is just personal belief. 
I'm worth uh, going after this business goal. It's funny because a lot of us actually are scared of the more scared of the success, like deep down. We're not aware that this is the case, but we're often more scared of the success than we are of the failure. Yes, yes. And I can believe that to be true because sometimes we get drawn into, as you said, getting in our own way, shooting ourselves in the foot, mm -hmm. seeing opportunities come along. And we, we look at it and we know it's an opportunity and we just walk in the complete opposite direction. Or I, I have more of the opposite problem, which is what I call the shiny red ball syndrome. Um, entrepreneurs love, they have very short attention. I'll, I'll say I have a very short attention span as an entrepreneur. Mm. So, um, you know, to build a business takes a lot of discipline and focus. And so it's really easy to get distracted by the next shiny red ball that we think will be easier, softer. There's like a flip side. There's, there's like, yes, there are new opportunities. And is that a distraction or an addition? And that's part of where I try and help is by challenging entrepreneurs, pursuing that now, like given the other things you've told me about where your business is and the things that you want, the plans that you have to improve it and, and move it to the next level. Is this going to be additive or, you know, negative? Mm. Again, as a coach, I really work hard to not be prescriptive. Like I, from my experience, might be pretty certain it's going to distract you and take away from your business. However, that's not my call to make. I, I just can show you the consequences of that choice. And then I leave it up to the entrepreneur. What do you want to do? do? Do you want to you know, stick with the core business and do that? Or do you want to pursue this? Coach Kevin told us to me in our very first conversation, like, you know, you, you point out the potholes in the road to your clients as best you know them from your own experience. And if they decide that they want to go charge ahead into a bunch of potholes, then you're there to help clean them up after the fact. Yes. Like, but again, it's not for me to say. It's it's for me to offer the choice and then say, Ms. or Mr. Client, you know, what, what would you like to do? You mentioned that towards the start of your career, it was a computer science degree or computer science qualification that you got you involved in things. So really, this is at the onset of the internet. And what I'd be intrigued to ask you is that in terms of being an entrepreneur, is the internet really lots of shiny red balls that's de designed to distract you from your business? Um, or, you know, is it a place to go make good money and to enhance your business would be how I'd like to extend your question. Okay. I like that. <laughs> and my answer is yes and yes. <laughs> 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 I do. I take your point. Yes. So to put it in context, I was granted my computer science degree in 1980 in the same year that IBM released the personal computer. Right. That's almost two decades before the internet as we kind of, or 15 years at least before the internet as we first kind of know it as the World Wide Web really started taking off. I mean, in, in my previous company, I learned about this project called the web and, and got our company connected to the to the internet, you know, through a slow 9600 baud modem. We were like the 80,000th registered website with CERN, which was kind of one of the two principal areas where web servers came from. But, you know, that was like in June and by Christmas, there was a quarter of a million. So it was just, you know, and, and who knows how many hundreds of millions of websites there are today. But it was right on the cusp of that, you know, which has been somewhat my experience, I've always tended to be very close to the bleeding edge of 
technological innovation and new things. I don't like to try them when it's still kind of duct tape and bailing wire to hold it all together. Yeah. But once it's kind of past that stage, I'm often trying trying new things. And, you know, I was in the first 750,000 people on LinkedIn. Wow. Which, again, doesn't sound like much, but, you know, you've given the population of LinkedIn today. That was pretty early. It was very early. I mean, I came to LinkedIn quite late. No, I wouldn't say late. I came to LinkedIn about 12 years ago. But even then, exponentially, they've literally got on their database, I should say, every professional person in the world near enough. I may qualify that with the Western world, but yeah. True, good um, point. But you're right. It's quite amazing. And, you know, how to, how to still exploit that beyond, you know, just recruitment and and which is where LinkedIn seems to point most of its energy. Um, but it's still, you know, when I, I haven't looked at your LinkedIn profile to tell you the truth, but that's because your company site has a really great background on you. So I felt like I, I got to get to know you more through your website. And to a certain extent, I think it, sometimes it, it is a duplication of these things. I think with LinkedIn, it does have a tendency to concentrate on the individual as a means of basically if somebody were to trying to just get your name, the first thing that they'd come up with is your LinkedIn profile, which is quite interesting. You know, it has kind of the milestones and the major kind of roles that I've had. But like when I read your about story, I, I, I got to read about your origin story, which to me is way more interesting. Well, thank you. And I think that origin stories are incredibly important. And the fact is, obviously, when you are being a coach and a mentor to people who come to you for those services, the origin story is a powerful way of communicating with the person that you're trying to help. You come across as a very open man. And I think the feeling is, is that if somebody feels that they can be open with you, they're more likely to get the full benefit of your coaching and mentoring skills. Yeah, in fact, in, in coaching, as in sales, my belief is you move forward at the at the pace of trust. So you, you can only move forward as much as the trust has got developed between the between the two of you. And and I do a bunch of things on my intake to try and help build some of that early um, trust. I want to go back to the origin stories, though, because this is something I do quite a bit of work with with entrepreneurs is, you know, they rarely come to me because everything is smooth running. Like they might not be in total crisis mode, but there's some aspect of the business that's not running the way they want or they're not getting what they want out of the business. And it's very often they've lost sight of the why. Like I'll often go back, like, why did you start this business? Like what got you out of bed in the morning to start from, you know, ground zero, which let, let's face it, like and to start a business is like a really is, I think is a radical act. Oh, yes. Because it's, it's brutally difficult. Um, you know, it has massive challenges. Um, I mean, that's part of what makes us entrepreneurs go is that we're willing to do that. But you only do that if there is some, why? I mean, I, for my book, one of the people I interviewed, like he, he lost, he finished his diploma program and he didn't have a job and he had a wife and two kids. And so his why is he needed to provide for them, but it was a very, very compelling why. And he was massively motivated to make it work from the go. You know, other people want to bring a certain change to an aspect of the world that they know a lot about and more power to him. I, I mean, I, 
I love helping people understand their why and is see and sometimes the why changes. And that's okay too. I think there is there is an importance to the why. Once upon a time the why was never mentioned. It's just how or what. The why was seem seemed to be parked somewhere and left. And the truth is you don't get out of bed and start a business every day unless there's a deeper why. I mean I mean to prove your dad wrong to like there's just a, an indeed you know it's a deeper emotional piece that that drives you and yeah you and so a lots of books and things focus on the mecha the mechanics as you say the how um and hey let's let's uh, be honest you got to figure out the how yes but in my work like the framework i work with one of the things we actually start in the framework with corporate culture your core values what you believe in. The second thing we work on is, you know, what Jim Collins talks about in Good to Great is your purpose. And can you articulate that relatively succinctly in a way that, you know, motivates people to keep moving forward? So now, obviously, you've done your computer science, you've gone away and you've done the entrepreneurial thing, been involved, sold up, but you now decided that you want to start a business. How did that business evolve? So, so the coaching business or the original software business? Your, that I your coaching business. That's, that's my coaching business. Yes. yes. So it evolved in a couple different ways. One was I had come out of a very intense executive gig where I was VP of marketing for a 35 million a year publicly traded company, um, where I was helping an entrepreneurial friend who was CEO and behind the scenes helping to work on strategy and, and you know, bigger picture things. But I realized, you know, that was in my mid fifties. And I realized I'd worked as hard as I had ever worked in my entire career. And one of the commandments to myself was I wasn't going to work that hard again. So that's part of my why. Part of my why is I want to give back to entrepreneurs, what Kevin gave to me. And part of my why is I don't want to have to work as hard as I have in the past. That actually turns out to be very hard. My default mode is work hard. So I actually have to work hard and not working hard. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so if you're like me, you have my sympathies. Um, but I also, you know, as a three-year stint as a VP of marketing, realized that, you know, the whole landscape of marketing and the combination of offline and online really was changing, you know, how we market and sell. And so I embarked, I was going to write a white paper about it, and I interviewed 45 uh, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and sales and marketing leaders. Uh, and that turned into a book. So uh, that's my book, Wind in Your Sales, Vital Strategies that Accelerate Your Entrepreneurial Growth, uh, which is a book of, you know, for owner founders, um, you know, it's an intermediate level book. If you're a serial entrepreneur and you're on the third business, you probably don't need my book. And my experience, especially owner founders, so I have 10 what I call strategies or functional areas of your business, if you like. I break it down with a little bit of theory and then my experience and then every chapter ends with a case study of an entrepreneur friend of mine. So it's a third of the book as other people's experiences. So, you know, I took time to wrap all that up and then, you know, did the things you do to start a new business, create a website. And, and you know, I hired a brilliant friend of mine to help me actually with the outline of the book and she total marketing amazing person she helped create my website really worked on my content and the message that i wanted to bring and uh, and then nothing happened as it always does <laughs> it's you as well i thought it was just me <laughs> no no it's i think it's the world 
And then, you know, I got a referral from my financial advisor to someone who hired me for facilitation, who referred me to someone else. And so actually it was the facilitation part of my business that um, took off originally. And my very first client that I had in April of 2015, I'm going to facilitate their annual plan in the first week of January. Wow. Seven years on and they're still, you know, a client of mine and they've done spectacularly well when I look back to where we were seven years ago and the, the plan that we were creating versus the plan that they're just finishing executing on in 2022. And that led to some other facilitation clients. My one-on-one coaching business just took a very long time just kept working at it and then eventually started getting a couple clients. They referred me to a number of other clients. Coaching is principally a word of mouth, although I will say that I got a special client last year through a podcast around sobriety and as someone who is in the same fellowship as I am, I've had a couple changes in my, you know, people just move on or only want once a month instead of twice. And so I've got some capacity for new clients. You know, I want to be on podcasts for a number of reasons. I want to share my experience, strength and hope in in recovery. Uh, Two years ago this month, I decided to focus not exclusively, but really to focus on entrepreneurs who struggle with alcoholism or addiction. And there's, as far as I can tell, almost no, very few vanishingly few, I found one or two coaches who specialize in that particular niche. And and yet, you know, 10% of the population are, are alcoholics. So at least 10% of entrepreneurs, and, and I think you could argue the stress of the role could quite easily be higher. There's no data that tells us one way or another, but... Uh, I think you probably find that a lot of entrepreneurs are probably highly functioning alcoholics. Yes, which was me. I mean, almost no one knew that I was an alcoholic. Like I hadn't suffered a lot of consequences. When I started my coaching business, you know, I've been a very successful entrepreneur. So I wasn't driven by financial motive. Right. Right. Which is good and bad. When you're not driven by that, you don't push as hard and network as much. And plus the goal was not to work as hard. Indeed. And that's interesting. I just had to be okay with, I wasn't going to have as much clients and it was just going to be a long, slow, steady slog, which is what it's been. And, it, you know, and I still did have these facilitation clients, which is very intense work once a quarter with a couple of calls in between, you know, a fair amount of white space. And, you know, now as there's enough white space, I can go on and be on like podcasts like yours. Real people, real business, real talk. For people to get a, a flavor of what you do as a coach, mentor and strategist, they have to, they have to give themselves, I think, but they also know that you are a person that is going to, I don't, we don't use the expression over here, but go out to bat for them. Really, you're, mm-hmm. going to, you're going to be that person who's as committed to that situation as they are. I think hiring a coach is maybe one of the most selfish things you can do. Because literally, most of us don't have a person who is 100% on our side and completely has our back. And as a coach, I do. Um, That doesn't mean I won't make you uncomfortable. I will. That's part of my job. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like there's a difference between having someone's back. I mean, having someone's back is to really challenge them, to really say, are you being the best you you can be? Yes. Are you building the best business that you really can build for what you want and to to fill your why? Um, And I'm not afraid to ask those really tough questions, which your best friends probably will never challenge you to that extent. Even though I'd argue they would be better friends if they did and you challenge <laughs> them. Because um, it's it's not about staying in your comfort zone. No. And to be honest with you, 
I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that. I normally would be a person that would be, oh, we're doing okay here. Everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. No, let's just chug along. This is nice. It's comfortable. But I've learned, especially over the last few years, that comfort is nice to visit, but you don't want to live there. Well said. <laughs> and, and as we say in, and as we say in recovery this too shall pass yeah yes yeah like whether you're sad right but also you know when you're on the highs like this too shall pass you know i believe the highs are higher when the lows are lower yes. not that i ever want anyone to experience that but the regular like life has a flow and an up and a down that is just that's life. Mm. And some of like my personal growth has been not trying to run away so fast from the low, like just to be with it. And it's just where I am right now. And that's okay. Yeah. I think it, that's what we need to learn. Sometimes it's okay. I'm not going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the world's not going to come to an end. Yeah. And I can be sad that I don't have more clients right now. Like that, that's okay. But then again, something else happens and then you are suddenly inundated and... <laughs> totally. It comes in waves and because I have quite a process to onboard someone because I want to really make sure they're they're committed and, you know, that we get to know each other. So, like, it's quite a bit of extra work to onboard a new client. So, of course, you know, I always get like three in the same month. because because that's what happens you know that's what happens you you sit there and it's all very quiet you're thinking yeah i'm in my comfort zone and then you get people ringing you up like crazy and you're thinking what happened somebody just threw a switch yeah and and often for no absolutely no apparent reason like it's just it's just the universe doing what the universe does best (laughs) but i'm going to put something to you as, as an argument and this is isn't it that to a certain extent, the reason why that happens, it's like, it's like a universal slot machine. Have you ever seen those slot machines or go to Vegas or Atlantic City or, or casinos? And there are certain people that will put money in, put money in, put money in, and then ultimately it will pay out. Or there are certain people that give up, walk away, and the next person that comes along gets to pay out. Yeah. And that, again, is just kind of the wheels of the universe working away. Yeah. You know, my former coach, Kevin Lawrence, he used to say that the universe works with mathematical precision. And David, you don't need to understand the math. (laughs) And for an over analytical computer trained guy, that is a really hard struggle. It's like, why, 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 what, you know, why is this happening to me? Why is this, you know, like, you don't really need to know why it's just showing up. It, it is. You just need to deal with it. You need to decide how you want to respond. You know, a lot of my personal growth since getting into recovery is really making a lot of conscious choice about no longer reacting to things and softening my reactions, like understanding where I've come from and family of origin issues. And so I can be the reactions internally are softer, but also I can pause for three seconds before I open my mouth, which is often it's a, a very good thing. Um, and I can come up with an appropriate response. Yes. And again, in recovery, we talk about the next right thing. I actually bring that into my coaching work. Like uh, a lot of what I help entrepreneurs get focused on is, okay, you've got like 
the next 10 things you're looking on and this and that, and you've got catastrophe around this. And, and it's like, okay, but what do you need to do today? And, and maybe, and who do you need to talk to tomorrow? And let's just focus on that and what those things really need to be and let the rest take care of itself. The cash flow show. You mentioned earlier about onboarding clients and the time that it takes. What would you describe as an ideal client for you? An ideal client is an entrepreneur who is prepared to make some sort of change in themselves. But that's not how they would articulate it. Like they don't realize that that's the case. So an ideal client is someone who, um, you know, has a challenge, um, is at least open to getting some help. I meet many, many entrepreneurs that need help. Very, very few are open to getting help. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So there's no point with me working with the client who isn't open to the help. If they're not going to listen, if they're not going to try some of the things I suggest, like there's no point. It's a waste of their time. It's a waste of my time. And so some of that, like I always start with, like I do a free one hour coaching call and, uh, you know, works. And I ask the, the prospective client to come with some issue that's really keeping them awake at night, you know, or is really challenging them. And we go and we dig into that issue and make whatever progress, you know, could be made in an hour, uh, which is usually still pretty substantial. Um, and I kind I, I actually go 55 minutes and then leave five minutes to like figure out what's next for the two of us. Um, a number of times I just say, you know, did you get what you want? Do you know which direction you need to go in? Great. Have a nice day. Yes. And you'll notice in that there is no offer for me to coach them. Yeah. Right. Like some people, I just come out of that call and I'm like, I don't think I can work with this person. I don't necessarily tell the person that. Um, I just don't really take the conversation forward. Mm. And, you know, unless they really insist. And then, then I make an evaluation. Whereas if I think there was some resonance and, you know, I'll say something like, I think we could possibly work together. What do you think? Yes. Right. And would you like to move forward? So not everyone after an hour gets the offer. You're absolutely right, because it's not for everyone. There are certain people that you know you can definitely help. And there are certain other people that doesn't matter what you do, if they don't resonate with you and you don't resonate with them, it's just not going to work. And I also tell prospects sometimes that, you know, people will approach me and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm looking at three or four different coaches. And I say, fantastic. I, I say, let's do a coaching session together. And I'll even say at the end, I think we can work together. And I want you to have who you feel is the very best coach for you. Yes. And if that's me, fantastic. If that's someone else, fantastic. Like, I, you know, I, I'm not here and I'm not desperate to get clients i i want to have the right clients and i want for sure to make sure that that every prospective client gets looked after well which means they pick the coach that um they feel they have the most resonance and and trust and relatability to so uh, i encourage people hey go go try a couple different coaches and then pick the one pick the one that you really feel you know works best for you uh, that's what i want for you and that is what people actually appreciate very much so that's what people appreciate so i wanted to ask one more question before we flipped over to another section and that question is what is the most common situations you encounter as a coach just one or two 
I would say the most common situation is some form of self-belief that is putting up blinders for you or holding you back or creating fear, uh, probably at an unconscious or at least a low conscious level. That's great. And that's really important because I think for me, I want to be able to share that with our audience so that they can understand that these are the things that they need to then recognize and maybe hopefully then seek out a coach such as yourself in order to make that happen. Yeah, it's that and recognizing progress. I, I was coaching a client this week and they, um, I've been coaching them in a certain direction and to try certain tools. And, you know, this individual doesn't totally believe that the tools are going to help. And he made a decision to reach out and try the tools, even though he didn't totally believe in them and they worked. Ah. Now, now it was only a, he only did it a tiny, tiny little bit. And he wanted to skip over that as a win. And I, I wouldn't let him do that because that behavior change is so huge for him that I circled back to it a couple times to just really acknowledge like this individual, you know, is on a path that he sees this, like, say a mile long. And yet he's only taken the first two steps, but he's taken the first two steps on a path that he's never, ever even considered before. Exactly. It's actually a massive change. Like the next hundred are probably going to be 10 times easier. Yes. Right. And so it's just really helping the individual to see, oh, I'm actually considering something new. I'm actually considering going down a different path. And I actually did make some progress down it because it's so easy to skip over that early success, mm. right? Um, especially you're trying the new tools and, you know, you probably have overly high expectations of how much they'll help you initially because the benefit usually comes with repeated use. Like you always get benefit right away. Um, so anyways, it's just, so it's another area where I really do a lot of reinforcement and really reflect back to the individual who I'm coaching what they've actually done, maybe in a way that they're not able to see for themselves. Now we're going to move swiftly on to the section that we called What Are You Like? Which is our, our way of finding a bit more about you as an individual and as a person. And we're going to start off with your favourite book. And I don't know if you remember, but you've chosen anything by Dick Francis. Yes, and considering I'm in a UK, uh, like when I say that in Canada and the US, I often get blank stares, especially since Dick Francis passed away a number of years ago. But uh, hopefully for my the UK audience, they recognize, I mean, he was a jockey uh, in the 50s and then wrote a book a year um, for 30, 35 years. Yeah. Um, I've read, I think, I think I've read everyone. He had an incredible career as a writer. And incredible. When I was growing up, you know, every year you, you saw a Dick Francis book. He just was churning these books out. He was almost like the Stephen King of the horse-based yes. thriller. And, uh, you know, I always loved he only he only has two or three characters he really develops. Yeah. He always has really interesting plot lines and, and sometimes um, pretty suspenseful. And they're not too long. I've lost a lot of sleep reading Dick Francis. Let's, <laughs> let's just put it that way. <laughs> and I still have them on my bookshelf. Like I've cleaned up my bookshelves two or three times, but I still have all my Dick Francis. And at least once or twice a year, I go back and pull one and I look at it. And if I read the back and I can't remember the plot line or just not ringing a bell, I, I reread it. And, <laughs> and I still, I enjoy it like 
the second or third time as much as I think I did the the first. For some of the younger people might not know who Dick Francis is, but the slightly people are slightly older, such as myself, we know who Dick Francis is. So <laughs> that's an excellent choice. You've also got something that's important to you, which is the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. That doesn't have an author, but I think anybody who wants to find that when they look at the show notes will be able to see that. So obviously your your sobriety is incredibly important to you. Yes. And obviously this is great significance to you too. Absolutely. And has been an incredible important part of my sobriety and my, my journey in sobriety. Thank you. So now we're going to move on to your business book because you've got Scaling Up 2.0 by Vern Harnish. And Your Oxygen Mask First by Kevin N. Lawrence. And you've mentioned these two names earlier on, so they do have, <laughs> have. significance to you. <laughs> they do indeed. You know, Vern's book is a template for how to use his one-page strategic plan. So Vern invented, I mean, he took a lot of ideas from other people and I think have combined them in a way, and he's some of his own ideas, clearly. But you know, business plans that are 100 pages long and go in a binder and sit in a shelf are useless. Yes. So Vern's basic premise is if you can get it all into one page, and I'll let you know, you can't print it like uh, A4 letter size. You got to print it on a big piece of paper. So it's a big page. Um, <laughs> but if, if you can get it all laid out, and that's your core values, your your purpose, how you live your core values and purpose, your brand promise to your clients, your three to five year plan, your one year plan, your quarterly plan, like when you can get all that down on a single sheet of paper, it really helps to get alignment, especially among the senior leadership teams. And, and there's a lot of other tools in scaling up. And then Kevin a few years ago. So Kevin was the coach I worked with for nine years and the guy who helped me to get sober. Your oxygen mass first is his 25 years of experience with entrepreneurs. And he also interviewed, I forget how many entrepreneurs and Kevin's worked with, you know, owner founders with 5 million a year businesses to entrepreneurs in the Middle East who are doing multi-billions of dollars a year. Like, and he's, he pulled out like the commonalities, you know, as the title suggests, the plane's going down, you know, before you help anyone else, you got to help yourself. And that's one of the most common issues. I, like as entrepreneurs, we're super passionate. So I find entrepreneurs, tons of energy into their business, often tons of energy into their relationship, their marriage, their children, and they often squeeze themselves out in the middle. They don't do enough to look after themselves. And because of that, they end up giving too much on both sides and squeezing themselves out in the middle. And so that's the core premise of Kevin's book. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. So you've got some favorite records here, which I approve of. <laughs> Uh, these are two Canadian artists. They are. Dinah Crawl, Look of Love. Whoa, love this. Love it. Love it. So I'll add, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. Um, yesterday I was putting up the Christmas lights in our house and I, I had my phone and my earphones on and I was listening to Diana Crawl's Christmas album, which would, which at Christmas time um, trumps Look of Love. <laughs> I, I, I love her. Uh, I love her Jingle Bells. It's just an amazing arrangement. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I really really enjoy Diana Krall. She is amazing singer, amazing pianist, um, just great, just sheer sheer class. Everything that mm -hmm. she does is absolutely brilliant. She's for the trivia fans married to Elvis Costello, so um, you've yes. got two two um, titans of music in one home. Uh, and they have two sons, and and I've heard Diana crawl on stage when I've gone to her concert talk about the three boys she has to look after, <laughs> <laughs> which I find quite amusing and 
could yeah. relate to. <laughs> I, I, I could well imagine. I can well imagine. So we've got Look of Love by Diana Krull, but we've also got the Canadiana Suite by Oscar Peterson, jazz pianist. Jazz pianist extraordinaire. My parents listened to Oscar Peterson, so I have probably had his songs, you know, in my unconscious brain as well as my conscious brain from probably when I was really, really little. Mm. And uh, I, I mean, it's really hard to pick a recording from Oscar. I picked Canadiana Suite because he didn't write a lot of music. Canadiana Suite is all Oscar Peterson written and is a tribute to Canada and works its way east to west. I'm also a lapsed pianist. I haven't played a lot in the last few years. I've definitely played Song Henri. Oh, there's another one that I know quite well, but I just can't remember the name of. Mm. And then a single song, I still think, uh, and I still listen to Hymn to Freedom a lot, although I really love Oliver Jones, who's another Canadian pianist from Montreal. I actually like the way he arranged and plays Hymn to Freedom the most. He, he plays it as a gospel number. And um, it's it's deeply moving to me. And and for those that don't know, Hymn to Freedom was a song that Oscar Peterson wrote as a tribute to Nelson Mandela when he was in jail and looked like he would never see the light of day. Because my relationship with Oscar Peterson goes back many years. When I was a kid, this is in the UK in the 70s. And the UK in the 70s, we had three TV stations. That was it. So we were pretty short on programming. Not like nowadays. But however, what happened was we used to import programs from Canadian television. Ah. And we imported Paint Along with Nancy by Nancy Kaminsky, The Galloping Gourmet. Ah, I remember The Galloping Gourmet. <laughs> <laughs> and we also imported programs with Oscar Peterson playing jazz piano. Oh, nice. And I became obsessed with those three programs, but also... I then got into music and obviously I've always admired Oscar Peterson. My piano played isn't as good as that. It's what I aspire to. And so as soon as you mentioned that, it 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 brought those two things together. And so hence that we were seeing all these Canadian programs because as we haven't really touched on, the, the relationship between Canada and the UK is still a strong one. It is, very much. So also we're going to move on to your film, TV and box set. You've chosen James Bond. Yeah, I'm kind of a sucker for the action hero kind of genre. So who would you say is your favorite Bond? Probably Daniel Craig. Mm. I mean, he's, he has such an edginess to his portrayal of the character. Each person who played James Bond brings their own, you know, take, if you like. And I mean, I was so enthralled. I think I was only in grade three or four when I talked my dad into taking me to Thunderball. Right. Which would have been today like PG. Yes, Decades later, when I saw it again, it's like I remembered some of those scenes. Yeah. Right. And uh, like it was a really formative. Uh, I mean, I remember going to Mary Poppins and I remember going to Thunderball. Wow. So <laughs> that's a combination. That's quite a combination. <laughs> Can we say polar opposites? <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So you've got your last choice here, which is the Star Wars, the original trilogy. You know, partly it was when I had gone back to university because I'd taken a 18 month break. Well, and I left home in, in Edmonton where I grew up and came to Vancouver. It was that fall that I asked my wife out on our first date, uh -huh. uh, which is 45 years ago. Wow. We just we celebrated 40 years, our 40th anniversary earlier this year. Congratulations. 
Yeah, it's 45 years ago this week, I asked Carly out on our first date uh, after a chemistry lab at the University of British Columbia. It's wonderful. And I remember standing in line with Carolee at the Stanley Theater here in Vancouver to go to the original Star Wars. And, and we were both big science fiction readers, and we were part of the BC Science Fiction Club at that time. Also, a lot of just really fond memories of the start of that relationship of us, you know, going out, university, our connection to science fiction and a science fiction club. And they were just for great movies. And they're, you know, they're other action adventure movies. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we're coming to the end of our conversation here on the Cash Flow Show, David. So what are your plans for the business going forward? My plans are to continue to help entrepreneurs. Uh, I turned 65 this year and I made a conscious choice that I'm going to do this for another five years, unless there's some big issue with my health, which there is nothing that I'm aware of. This work is too important to me and I want to continue it. My primary mission, you know, to be on podcasts and networking and some of the writing that I'm doing is to reduce the stigmatism around alcoholism, mm -hmm. especially for entrepreneurs, and offer hope that you don't have to still suffer. There, There is a solution. That's, you know, my primary mission. And then I have quite strong boundaries on how much I'm willing to work uh, and how much time off that uh, I'm going to take a year. And so that produces parameters to how many clients I can take. Like I could maybe take one more facilitation client and I have capacity at the moment for two, maybe three more one-on-one -on -one clients. Um, I haven't quite got to maximum capacity and I haven't quite figured out what I'll do when I get there. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, I focus on the next right step, which is to get the next one or two clients. Fantastic. So in light of all of that, if people have heard you and listen to a lot of the wisdom that you've shared, which has been fantastic, may I be so bold as to say, where can people find you on the internet, on socials, etc., etc.? Uh, easiest is to find my website. Um, often you just need to type my name and David Greer coach into a search engine and you'll find me, but you can also just visit my website, which is coachdjgreer.com and it's coach D is in David, J is in James, Greer.com. So coachdjgreer.com. And uh, my phone number's on the homepage there, um, links to all my socials. I think my email is on the homepage, or if not, there's a contact form uh, you can fill out uh, to reach out to me. Um, so that's probably the, the easiest way uh, to do it. And if you are in the UK, I'm based in Vancouver, Canada, which is eight time zones behind you. So, so if you send me a, a message first thing in the morning, it might be eight hours until I respond. <laughs> <laughs> That's always good to let people know. Always good to let people know. All of those will be in the show notes. So people will be able to access them from their podcast players when they're listening. Thank you. David, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot. And I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts and your feelings and being so open and vulnerable about your life and what you've achieved so far and what you're still looking to achieve in the future. Thank you, Clayton. I really appreciated being here today. And thank you for all that you do for entrepreneurs and businesses. 
you're most welcome. And I hope that my why is to make sure that all entrepreneurs can have maybe the possibility of some sort of platform to share what they do. And you don't have to be the most popular or the most famous. You can just be somebody who does a great job and provides great services for good people. Well said. Very well said. Thank you very much, David. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks again. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom, and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.